Our reading is taken from John chapter 13, beginning at verse 1, and it's Jesus washes his disciples' feet. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped round him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place, Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And then John chapter 15, starting to read at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Karen. Let's just bow our heads together as we come before this word this morning. Loving Lord our God, we pray that in your mercy and in your grace you would speak to each and every one of us this morning through your word. We pray, Father, for your mercies to rest upon us. We pray for your spirits to infill us, that we might understand and that we might be willing to obey. Amen. Thanks. Can we have the first slide, please? In English, we've got just one word for love, and it is unsurprisingly the word love, and it covers all sorts of forms of love that we experience as a human being. But in Greek, there were different words for different sorts of love. So the next one, please. 
there was a word eros, which was the word used for the love that is intimate and sensual, such as that between a man and wife. There was the word please, next one. Storge, which is the word for family love, the love of parent for child, the love of uh, grandparent for grandchild. Next one. That's it. Storge covers family love. And then there was, thank you, next one, please. There was the word philea, which is the word for love of person to person, community love, the sort of thing that we might want to show when we gather together in church. And then, next one, please. There is the word for love that is the most common word in the New Testament for love when it's translated. And that is the word agape. And agape means to choose to show someone love through practical, self-giving service despite personal costs. So whereas the others might feel to be a feeling sorts of word, you know, I feel deeply for my children and for my grandchildren. Agape is a thinking sort of word. I choose to put your needs before my own. I choose to count the cost of that. I choose to prioritize you and to demonstrate that through action, through what I do and not simply what I say. Now, it should be no surprise that it's that word, agape, which is the word most often used of Jesus in the New Testament. God so agaped the world that he sent Jesus to die that we might know his redemption and recreation. And it's also the word that's used most often of what it means to live as a Christian in the world. You are called to agape one another. If you read 1 Corinthians 13, which is often read at weddings, it was read at our own wedding all those years ago. It's actually not really a wedding reading because it's about how love is to be expressed in and amongst the Christian community rather than love in marriage. But it's a really profound passage. If you don't do something, if you just say about love and don't do something about it, then you're like a clanging gong or a sounding cymbal. You're all noise, but no substance. Love is the word used of Jesus, mediating God's love to the world. And love, agape, is the word used of the church as we seek to mediate that love as a body in and to the communities of which we are a part. So it's a really significant word. Now, of all the gospel writers, John which is the reading that we had this morning. John was the one who understood the notion of agape best. The other three Gospels were written before John, and to some extent they tell the story of what Jesus did and what he said and what happened in consequence. What John does, writing some years later, possibly 30 years later, he's reflecting on the meaning and the purpose of some of those events of which he himself was a part. And he focuses on the love that prompted Jesus to do what he did and the love that the Christian community should show amongst itself and to the world around it. So love is a massive theme. Agape is a massive theme in the Gospel of John and in the letters that bear his name. And I don't know if you notice, can we have the next slide, please? I don't know if you noticed this morning, but the passage that Karen read for us begins with the word agape. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus is gathering for a meal with his friends. Talk about that in a moment. Jesus knew that the time had come. 
This was the moment of redemption. This was the moment when he was to demonstrate in the fullest way possible the love of God for the world. Having loved his own, his disciples, he then, and our translation says, loved them to the end. But a better translation, I think, is he showed them the full extent of his agape. He showed them the full extent of his agape. Now, the next day in front of Jesus is the cross. And as he gathers for this meal, Jesus does something in the context of that meal which demonstrates the full extent of his love. Now, the other gospel writers record for us that Jesus breaks bread and shares wine. It's a Passover meal that he's a part of. And what he does is he takes the story of the Passover and he applies it to himself. So the Passover looked back to the Exodus, the time when God's people were liberated from Egypt. And it looked forward to a time when God's complete deliverance and redemption would be brought near. And in the middle, in the Passover, the people remembered and they anticipated. Look back and look forward. It was this fulcrum moment the Passover meal was every year. And what Jesus does when he shares the Passover is he takes that story and applies it to himself. He breaks bread. This is my body. He shares wine. This is my blood. All that this meal was, all that this meal looks forward to, I am here. It's happening now. Now, John knows that the other gospel writers have written about that. So what he does, and can we have the next slide, please? What he does is in the context of this meal, John records another act of Jesus that the other gospel writers don't record. And John records it as an acted parable. Jesus showing something deeply significant being acted out in their midst. For what he does, can I have the next slide please? What he does is he strips down to his underwear and he washes the feet of those at table with him. Now there's nothing remarkable, nothing remarkable about feet being washed in the context of a meal. It was a normal part of Near Eastern, uh, Near Middle Eastern hospitality. You walked in sandals, the roads were dusty. When you gathered for a meal, the lowest member of the household, a servant if you could afford one, if not the youngest and smallest member of the family, often the youngest daughter, he, she would come around with a bowl of water and a cloth and wash the dirt off your feet, removing your sandals, washing the dirt off your feet. So it made the meal more pleasant because you were smelly and dirty as you went for the meal. And that was just a nice thing to do in the context of a long uh, leisurely meal. So there's nothing remarkable about feet being washed. But what is absolutely extraordinary is who does it. This is the one whom heavens praise. This is the one whom the angels cover their eyes because his holiness and glory and light is too great for them to gaze upon. This is the one, as Revelation tells us, who walks on sapphires and rubies and sits on a throne at the center of the new Jerusalem. 
This is the one out of whom all creation issued and towards whom all creation looks. And he gathers in a room upstairs with his friends and strips and washes their feet. Now, the disciples don't understand it at first. How could they? Would I? Of course I wouldn't. A few days before, they've seen the crowds acclaim Jesus as the coming Messiah. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're riding the crest of a wave. And now suddenly, this man, this Messiah, this deliverer, is adopting the posture of the lowest of the low, I'm washing their feet. No wonder Simon says, Lord, it's not right. You don't wash my feet. I should be washing yours. And Jesus insists because he's acting something out in their midst that is deeply powerful that only image and metaphor can demonstrate. He washes their feet one by one. He washes their feet knowing that one of them is going to betray him, the rest are going to run away, and one of them is going to deny him. He washes their feet even though he knows he will be utterly abandoned in less than 12 hours. Jesus washes feet because that is what God is like. Do you understand what I've done for you. Do you understand what God is like? Do you understand what agape really is? Jesus is saying in both word and indeed in this moment. Now, the disciples don't understand it. There's a strong theme in the Old Testament of the Messiah being a servant. The disciples just don't understand that at this point. Later, they will. Can we have the next slide, please? Later, they will get it. Paul, one of the early apostles, wrote this in a great letter, Philippians. Jesus made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. This is what God is like. Jesus is saying, here I am, Paul, just a few years later, understanding this. This is what our Savior is like. This is the extent of his love. No wonder John begins this chapter, having loved them, he now shows them the full extent of what that looks like. With the cross in view, this is what I'm like. When you come to reflect upon tomorrow, remember this. But this agape isn't just something that Jesus does. It's something that Jesus says his body is also to do. Can we have the next slide, please? The church is commanded, having experienced the love of Jesus, to then demonstrate that love in the world, in the world as it is. In November 2020, coronavirus Britain, the church is called to demonstrate the love that God has for the world, that Jesus brings near through his cross, that Jesus demonstrates by washing feet in an upper room. And Jesus issues it as a commandment, not as a suggestion. A new command I give to you. Now I've done this to you. Now you know what this love looks like. You are to do the same.
There's no choice. Real disciples are to live lives of love in the world, reflecting the love that Jesus has demonstrated for them. I love these words of Mother Teresa. How can I not love? How can I not show it? Because I know it to be true in my heart. There's something incarnational, that's a big Bible word, about agape love. We receive it and we demonstrate it. We do likewise. And that's costly to walk the path of a servant. The scripture is full of warnings. Don't take the top seat. Don't seek uh, the position which is number one. Seek the lowest. Because if you try for the highest, you'll end up being moved down. If you aim for the lowest, you'll be raised up because that's what Jesus is like. Don't try and save your own life because you'll lose it. Instead, give it away because that way you'll find it. Because this is what love looks like when lived out of the model and the experience of God. Next PowerPoint, please. The challenge to live as a servant-shaped human being is not easy. It is not easy. The challenge to live as a servant-shaped human being goes against all of our selfish human inclinations. Where we want to serve ourselves, first of all. Where we want to make sure we're okay, first of all. Where actually we want the easiest, the least demanding, most of all. But being a servant involves the same set of choices that demonstrate that were demonstrated in the choice that God made to send Jesus, in the choice that Jesus made to go to the cross, and in the choice that Jesus made to strip himself and to wash his disciples' feet. There's something about learning. There's something about every day, beginning with a prayer along the lines of God, fill me with your love so that I can show a little bit more of that love today. Just a little bit more, like a master woodworker working with a piece of wood, just a little bit more scraping off. So a little bit more of the beauty of that which is being crafted can come through. Every day, there's an act of choice how we might live as a servant in the world. The next slide, please. Paul puts it this way. Have the same attitude as Jesus. He made himself a servant, so you think and do likewise. And again, there's no choice. This is an injunction, this is an instruction, this is a commandment to a group of Christians in a place called Philippi. If you're serious about your faith, then this is what it looks like lived out in the world. So I want to apply this this morning in two ways, this sense of being a servant, this knowing the love of God, and this demonstrating the love of God. Can we have the next slide, please? Now, a number of you will know that my dad died in January. He'd been um, moved into an old people's home for about three months. His health was in massive decline, and he died about three months having moved in. He uh, was 92 when he died, 
And a week or so after his uh, death and before the funeral, my sister and I went into uh, his flat because the place he was staying in, the residence he was staying in, was just over the road. And we sorted things out. We gave stuff away and uh, all the things you have to do, those horrible things when you're dealing with the last bereavement of a parent. And this was my dad's Bible, which was in his uh, bedside table. He became a Christian about 40 years ago when uh, I first went off to university. Both him and my mum came to faith at the same time. And this was his Bible. Now, my dad knew the love of God. How do I know that? How do I know that? This verse, nothing can separate us from the love of God, nothing can separate you from the love of God, is a really powerful and important verse of the New Testament. There's absolutely nothing that can stop you, whatever you've done, whoever you are, whatever your life looks like, there's nothing that can stop you being loved by God. Nothing can stop you. It's a great claim of scripture. And my dad, when I opened his Bible, just inside the dust sleeve were some of the notes that he'd taken from various uh, Bible studies that he'd been to, some of his small group uh, notes and things, and some prayers and things he'd written. And on the top is a piece of paper. And I wept when I read this, when I opened the Bible for the first time and saw that this was my dad's. What it says is, nothing can separate me from the love of God. God chose me. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. The first thing my dad saw every time he undid his Bible was a reminder of the extent of the love that God has for him. And the first thing that I want to say is, is that something that we know? Is that something that we have confidence in? Or do we think we've still got to earn it? Do we think we've still got to do something to deserve it? Do we think that there's something about us that makes us different from the whole of the rest of humanity, which means that God cannot love us? Because if we think that, we will never know the love of God and the freedom that that love brings. God loves you so much. God agapes you so much that Jesus washed feet and was nailed to a cross because that's what God looks like close and personal. And that's what grace is. So I want to invite you this morning to think seriously about experiencing that love, knowing that love, coming into a place where that love becomes a part of our self-understanding, a part of our identity, a part of who we are as a human being, because that's what God longs for for his world. And if that's something you don't know about, then please talk to me on the way out of church this morning. Either I can talk to you or I can invite Ian, the vicar of this church, to talk to you or someone else to talk to you and explain more about that. But God wants us to live in and to die in the assurance of that love because that sets the narrative of the life that we live that we live and that brings the freedom that nothing else can 
The second point by way of application, can I have the final slide please for this morning? The second point that I want to say is this. It's spellbindingly simple and straightforward, but it's not easy. If you look, there are six different hands there making the shape of a heart. And I like that image of the church. We're all different, with different colors, different sizes, different shapes, uh, and yet, together, we create and demonstrate the love that God has for the world. We are the body of which Christ is the head. We are to look like him, to be like him as a community living this out in the world. And this is what I was thinking about as I came walked down to church uh, this morning. What does it look like for me, for Gary, to live this out in the second wave of lockdown? When, to be quite honest with you, it feels a bit grim. We cannot see our grandchildren again for another four weeks. It's our grandson's fourth birthday today, and we're watching him cut his cake on Zoom. How miserable is that? So what does it look like for me to live this out in this period of grimness? It means I choose to love. It means I choose to love in the way that I can in the context of the circumstances that I face. It means I choose to love my neighbors. It means I choose to love my community. It means I choose to do the right thing. It means I choose to pray. It's a very practical thing that we are being asked to do. And it means I choose to know that love, to remind myself of that love, that I might demonstrate that love. It means that I choose to look upwards, not downwards. It means that I choose to be a vehicle of grace in a time of great challenge. And if it means that for me, then it means that for you in your circumstances too. And you will know what that look, looks like. Spellbandingly straightforward to understand. But it involves the agape choices that the gospel talks about to put that into practice. I pray that we can do that with joy. That's the title of this sermon this morning, Serving with Joy. I pray that we can do that with integrity. I pray that we can do that with hope because such is what we are called to do and to be in the light of the love that we know is ours in Jesus. Let's pray together. Loving Lord our God, we thank you for that scripture this morning, that powerful scripture about service and servanthood and what it means to know and to live in and to experience and to demonstrate that love for ourselves and the world around us in the real places where we are, in all of the stuff, in all of the stuff of life, Loving Lord our God, we pray that you would help us to make the choices that issue from being the body of Christ. Even when that's hard. And for those of us who don't know that love, who are on the edge of that love, who are beginning to move towards being enfolded by that love, I pray that we would understand 
that your love goes before everything. That you love us absolutely. Lord, may we understand that. May we know that. May we live in the freedom that that brings. And all of this, Lord, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.